Yeah, so it's a huge list. I don't know if you know how big Mother's Day is. It is so big that it only follows, it trails only Christmas as the most popular holiday for giving gifts. So what that means, moms, is that you come in second only to Jesus, which, you know, I, that seems to be okay. I don't know if you knew this or not. We spend about 152 million, or I'm sorry, we send 152 million Mother's Day cards every year. And uh, Americans spend about $14.6 billion on uh, Mother's Day gifts, including $1.9 billion on flowers. Isn't that, I mean, that's just how huge this day is. Did you know that the African black eagle typically will only lay two eggs at a time, and then the mother will feed just one of the chicks and the other chick is usually pecked to death by the first chick while the mother looks on. You don't see that on too many Mother's Day cards, but I just thought it was interesting to point that out. Did you? <laughs> Thinking about working for Hallmark next. Um, <clears throat> did, you, did you know that mothers do about 88% of the laundry? In the United States, it's about 330 loads of laundry. I don't know if you've noticed, but this is going downhill really quick with the Mother's Day information. But according to several studies, one more, mothers who give birth later in life have a better chance of, some studies have shown that mothers who give birth later in life have a better chance of living longer. Other studies show it just seems like, you know, they're living Longer, I, uh, it seems to indicate that. Ladies, I hope you were offered on your way in that you were offered a heart, and that's to be planted. You can plant it uh, inside the house in a uh, planter, or you can put it outside uh, in your flower bed. We hope that that will just be a reminder to you. And you should have been offered chocolate. Yeah, we know how to soothe the savage beast. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that you know, listen, that we appreciate you being here. If this is your first Sunday, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And we think moms should be treated great every day, but especially today. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there. And our hope is if you live in the area and are able to on a Sunday morning, you're not working or something, that you might be able to join us here soon. So we hope to see you here. Uh, listen, a couple weeks ago, and Jason mentioned this, we began a series called Chain Breakers. And uh, we're talking about, lo we're looking at what keeps us from living a life that is fearless and free. And the idea of the series comes from what Paul wrote to the church in Galatia uh, when he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And there are, there are things in life uh, that seem to want to chain us down. And so we've been looking at those over the last couple of weeks. And as Jason mentioned, today we're looking at bitterness and how that keeps us from living free lives. And initially, when we started planning this out several months ago, we saw what the day was we're going to be talking about this. And I thought, is Mother's Day really the day? that we want to talk about bitterness. Mother's Day is perhaps maybe just the right day for us to talk about this. In part because I know that for some of us, we have moms. We have, for some of us, we have moms that are easy to remember, but there are others of us in the room that I know your mom made it difficult for you 
to celebrate mom, just the memory of your mom and, and the, your relationship and how that all went down. And I, I get that today is a hard day for you to celebrate. Or some of us are or know of a, a woman, we have a friend who wants to be a mom, hasn't been able to become one, at least not yet. And so today for you or your friend can just be filled with awful uh, I'm Sandy and I still remember when we were going through that and just Mother's Day and Father's Day were these awful reminders to us that we don't have children even though we want to. And so I know that it can be just a day filled with hard feelings. But we wanted to talk about this today because of that. And listen, I just want to make sure you know this too. When it comes to bitterness, just to keep it in perspective, we don't jump straight to bitterness. It begins with anger. As a matter of fact, this is on your notes and I want to make sure you have this. Anger is about a present hurt. Bitterness is what happens when that anger hangs around too long, that, ang that hurt from the past, because it's about a past hurt. That's what bitterness is. Anger is usually right up near the surface, but ang when anger gets buried, it grows, and then bitterness becomes the result, and it leads to resentment. You can hold grudges when you become a bitter person. And in the book of uh, Hebrews, we read, uh, don't let, uh, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. And that's what, so the Bible compares bitterness to a root that's growing underneath the surface. Have you ever been working in your yard? You've seen a weed or in your flower bed or something like that, and you went to pull the weed, and instead of everything coming up, you just pop the top off of it? Anybody ever done that? So you think you've taken care of the problem, but what's going on? And it is growing merrily underneath the surface, and it's going to pop up again. Hebrews 12 says that that's the nature of bitterness. It grows quietly in the wounded heart, but it's, it's this bitterness that drains your spiritual strength and hardens your heart. And you know that if you're sitting here this morning hoping that no one knows that you have experienced this in your life or that you're experiencing it even this morning... The Bible reminds us in the book of Proverbs, all the way in the Old Testament, each heart knows its own bitterness. You are, listen, you are not alone. Your friend is not the only one who is struggling with bitterness. You are not the only one who's struggling with bitterness. But sometimes it does feel like it because of the cage you get put in. And I think maybe that's why Max Lucado said, and it's on your notes, bitterness is its own prison. The question is, how do we get unchained? So today we're going to take a look at a mom who is very integral into the, in, the, uh, in the life of Jesus, the line of Jesus, I should say it that way, who struggled with bitterness and how she was able to overcome it. Uh, and so let's check this out. All the way in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, if you have your Bibles, Ruth chapter 1 is where we're going to be on the YouVersion app uh, on your phone. Uh, you'll find all of our notes there as well. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, and after they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So we're going to stop for a moment. We're going to zoom back out and see where we are. Verse 1 tells us that our story takes place during the period of the judges in the Old Testament. 
uh, time of Israel's history, somewhere between the death of Moses and when Saul is crowned the first king of Israel. The main leaders at this time in Israel were judges. They were local military heroes, so don't think in terms of a gavel, but think in terms of local military heroes that God would raise up to rescue Israel from very specific foreign threats in that particular area of Israel. And you've probably heard some of the names of the judges. You might recognize them. Samson is one. Gideon is one. Deborah is a judge. And so these days... Even with these local heroes being raised up, they were known as very dark and very evil times. As a matter of fact, the last verse of the book of Judges, which is right before, uh, as, this, as this time is starting, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone did whatever they wanted. So think about what that was like to live in. And we're not told specifically when in this period this happens. It's during those years that a famine hits Israel so hard that a family of four, Elimelech and Naomi, the mom and dad, Malon and Kilion, the two sons, they, are, they move to get away from the famine to a place that had food in Moab. Moab would have been the closest area that had not been affected by the famine. And while they're living there, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. But... Her sons marry, two Moabite women, and then within 10 years, they die as well. I just want to say, and this is an understatement, but I want to make sure it, this was not the plan. This is not the plan they had for their family. Beginning in verse 6, check this out. But when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. And with her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Finally, finally, some good news. Something good happens back home where they're from. God has provided food, and, and so they're going to head back. The problem is something has happened inside of Naomi. And I'm going to jump ahead so that you can kind of see what has happened and how bitterness will chain us up because my guess is you have experienced this or a friend of yours, someone that you love, someone in your sphere of influence has been chained by bitterness so you will recognize them right away. But we're also going to see what happens in this story where we could be chain breakers. So verse 12, Naomi speaking to her daughter-in-laws, return home, my daughters, I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. As a matter of fact, when they actually get back to Bethlehem, look at verse 19. So, now, so this is before the trip is what she was just saying. Now they've made the trip, verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, they saw them coming, and they said, can this be Naomi? Kind of looks like her. Is that? Is that really her? And she says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And I know this is obvious, but I want to make sure you get this. It's on your notes as well. My bitterness chains me too, and you have to fill in that blank. Because there's an event, there's a person, there's something that happened that just the anger was, un and you, 
and you just held on to it and buried it. Uh, and whatever has made you angry that you could not, would not, will not let go of, if you hold on to it long enough, you get chained to it and you drag it around with you instead of working through it and then moving forward with your life. So can we all just admit, we're just going to stop for a moment. Let's just admit life has not gone the way Naomi wanted it to, right? She was not dealt a good hand. Famine, husband dies, sons die. Is it fair to say that? Can we, can we just say that she, listen, does Naomi have a right to be angry over how her life has gone? Is it okay for her to be angry about that? Absolutely, it is okay to be angry. Of course she has reason. Listen, but Naomi did not have a lot to look forward to. She had just become a widow. She was beyond the age of childbearing, and widows were often taken advantage of or overlooked. They were almost always poverty-stricken. And something that we might miss, but they, they show it in the original language, in the Hebrew that the Old Testament would have been written in, in verse 5, it says Naomi, uh, when they died, Malon Killian, and Naomi is left with her two children and her husband. That's what we read. The original language doesn't even use her name. Just says the woman. So her, I mean, she's just been marginalized. Her response to her daughter-in-laws in verses 12 and 13 is, in essence, I don't have anything to offer you. Her question regarding having more sons, right? When I read that, even if I had more sons tonight, did, you, did that sound weird to anybody? Even if I had more sons, would you wait for them to grow up? There was an Old Testament law with the Israelites that if a man died and left his wife childless, she was to marry his brother and have children through him. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, <laughs> that's an old Hebrew card. Um, Her response to her friends when she arrives in Israel, verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Naomi means pleasant, Mara means bitter. A lot of things had occurred in her life, and she had left all that she knew, everything she was familiar with because of this famine. She moved to a foreign land. Husband dies. Sons, it's easy to understand why someone who had been through that could become a bitter person. Because life had not gone as she had hoped. And it may be fair to say that it hasn't for many of us either. (laughs) When we started out what we planned, it has not gone that way. Very few few of us start out and plan to be single parents. Or to be divorced. Or to have our partner taken from us. Some people perhaps thought they'd be married by now. Some are in marriages that are nowhere near what they had hoped their marriage would be. Some of us are in in unhappy job situations right now. We may not know exactly how Naomi felt because we've not been through exactly what she's been through, but my guess is most to almost maybe all of us in this room have an idea, a glimpse of her situation. Sometimes when life isn't going as we've planned, it's easy to become bitter, and I'm going to show you uh, a little secret. I'm going to let you in on a secret here. Your bitterness not only affects you, it chains other people as well. Your bitterness chains you down, but it also can chain others. So far, two daughter-in-laws, right? I mean, it's already begun to affect them. And now that she's back home, it seems like everyone she meets. And it's because bitterness is contagious. It spreads like an epidemic. We sometimes think we can live our own life, make our own decisions, and that they won't affect anybody else. But that's not true. 
bitter people affect the people around them, their family, their friends, employees, people who look up to and want to emulate them. It affects those people. And I'm going to bet that you can name people in your life that you know or have known that are or were bitter people. I'm going to bet just talking about this, there's been a face, a name that has popped into your head, and for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just obvious. When there's a bitter person in your life, is it not obvious that, that they're there, that they're bitter? But the second is, you know the varying degrees of influence they've had on your life or other people's lives because of their bitterness. So we're going to go back and see what the chains look like. Here's the first one. You ready? I want to make sure you get this, and we'll look at it. Bitterness can imprison you with the chain of isolation. This is one of the things we need to look for. In verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands, to my sons, and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye. They wept aloud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, go back to your home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? And listen, I recognize that there are times in people's lives when they need to be alone. You have recognized times in your life, you know, maybe it's for an hour, maybe it's for a day, maybe it's for several days or a week, that you just need some alone time. But what she's experiencing, what we're reading about, is more than that. And it is probable, listen, when you read what she says, it, I, I believe she had their best interests at heart. Her daughter-in-laws, she was really uh, thinking of what was best for them, but she was cutting loose the people who knew and understood her situation the best. Nobody understood her situation like her, like their, her daughter-in-laws. Nobody cared for her like them, and quite frankly, she needed them. And this isn't just a response for a time. This seems to be this life response. In verse 20, it says that she arrives back in Israel. And then in verse 21, it says that she just treats the women of Bethlehem. Look at the way that she's talking to them. I went away empty. The Lord has afflicted me. This misfortune is upon me. Listen, have you known people who have done this? Let me ask another question. Do you have times when you feel like doing this? Life has caved in on you, and what you want to do is just shove everyone away that comes close because you just don't want to deal with it. And again, there are times when it's normal for all of us to want to be alone. It's normal, but some people seek to isolate themselves in an unhealthy way. That's at least part of the point of Hebrews 10.25 where it says don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves like we are today. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Some have gotten into that habit. But when we get together, what's the purpose of our being together? One of the things we are here to do is to encourage one another, to, to, to be a source of positivity in each other's lives, especially as we see the day, the day that Jesus is returning, as we see that coming. We are called to make decisions that bring us into community, not into isolation. And yet isolation becomes one of the chains of bitterness. There's one more way that the enemy tries to imprison us as well. In our bitterness, if we become bitter people... We can begin to blame God for what's going on in our life. It's verse 20. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. And this, listen, this is just an, more than another argument. She's talking to her daughter-in-laws, trying to get them to go home, not to go with her, but go back home to your people. And it's more than an argument to persuade them not to stay with her. It's this grieving accusation 
against God for ruining her life. In verse 21, look at what she says. The Lord has afflicted me. How many times have people asked you, why is God doing this to me? Let me ask it another way. How many times have you wondered that yourself? Why is God doing? I don't understand. Why is he doing this? As if God is out to ruin your life life. Because that's what you're saying. You're saying that God wants to ruin your life and make you miserable. And yet Jesus says exactly the opposite in John 10.10. He said, there's a thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Only. This is all the thief is about. He's not, the thief isn't about anything else. Stealing, killing, and destroying you. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But instead of recognizing that we have an enemy whose only desire is to steal, kill, and destroy us and allow that to push us away from him, what we tend to do is we look at God, blame him, and allow it to push us from him. But we need to be pulling closer to him. It's easy to see why Naomi made these decisions. Because when life isn't how you planned it, it is a natural response to become angry. But we need to be careful not to allow our anger to grow into bitterness because it will chain us up, try to isolate us, and then get us to separate ourselves from God and blame him for what's going on in our lives. And what's interesting to me is in this story, so when you read, by the way, the book is called, it's not called Naomi, right? It's called Ruth, right? There's someone else in the story. Ruth was in a very similar situation, not exactly the same, but pretty close. And yet she made three decisions that are completely opposite of what her mother-in-law does. So remember, Naomi wanted to push people away. Verse 16, Ruth's response is this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Isn't that interesting? Her first response was to pull people toward her. That's what Ruth is wanting. She's wanting to bring people in to her circle. And her focus wasn't just on her problem and her troubles. Her focus was on other people around her, specifically her mother-in-law. And how can I minister to you? So Naomi's first decision was to push people back. Ruth decided to pull people toward her. Naomi also decided to become bitter over where her life was headed. Ruth decided... This is her second decision to change the direction of her life. And honestly, this may, listen, these may be your next step in your faith. If you're sitting here this morning and you're kind of struggling and hoping you've got this smile plastered on your face and you hope nobody knows what's going on in your life and you're starting to push people away, your next step in your faith may be to pull people to you. And if you're beginning to question the direction of your life, you, it may be time, listen, it may be time to make sure you're moving in the right direction. In verse 16, Uh, Ruth says this, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will become my people. She was willing to leave everything she grew up knowing. She she was willing to leave her homeland for an unknown land. Uh, Someone said this, it's on your notes, problems in life are inevitable. Misery is optional. Love the story of the gardener who took great pride in taking care of his yard, but one year it grew full of dandelions. I don't know if you've got your yard or your neighbor's yard looks like you're growing dandelions. Uh, but he tried every method, product to get rid of them. Nothing worked. Exasperated. He wrote the Department of Agriculture. He explained everything that he had done. He said, what shall I try next? The response came back, try getting used to them. Uh, now, you know, sometimes we need to be willing to get used to something we didn't plan on. 
It's easy when our life, right, in our life when it's not going the way we plan to grow bitter, but that's not what God intends. In, in our lives, in the times of our lives when it is most difficult to do, God is calling us to change the direction of our life. Someone said this, it's on your notes, although the world is full of suffering, it's also full of the overcoming of it. Do you see who said that? Helen Keller. Listen, when Ruth didn't like where her life was headed, she changed direction. Naomi's third response was to blame God. Ruth's third decision was in verse 16, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. In the most difficult time of her life, uh, even though she grew up as a Moabite and would have grown up worshiping the God Chemosh, when Ruth learned of the one true God, that's who she turned to. When she found out that there was the God of Israel, she turned toward him. So how do you overcome bitterness on your notes? Admit that you feel bitter. Name it. Point at it. Call it what it is. Recognize what you've been angry about. You've got to face it if you want to leave it behind. Acknowledge who hurt you and that you have held on to that hurt. And ask yourself, why have I not let this go? Why can't I seem to let go of this? Why am I dragging this around with me? Number three, let go. Let go of whatever it is. Number four, and this is part of the letting go process, you need to forgive them. Even if they don't ask for it, even if they don't want it, you forgive them for what happened. Forgiveness, by the way, is not for them. Forgiveness is for you and for me. When we forgive someone, we actually let go. We're taking our hands off of the incident, whatever it was that happened. Next, change your expectations. You see if I can say this delicately. <laughs> the life you had dreamed of, whatever it was you were planning on, it's not going to happen that way. This incident, this person, this happening, the situation has changed that. Change your expectations because your dream has been altered. Doesn't mean it's dead. Doesn't mean it will never happen. Just means it's not going to happen the way you had thought it would. And the last one is this. Get help if you need it. Because this, listen, this, and maybe, you know, maybe all you need is a good friend who loves God and loves you. And they can just walk you through that. I think that happens more often than we give credit for. But there are other times when it's too much. It's just too much. And you need someone who is a professional to help you walk backwards through this. Please be willing to get that help. So two questions I want to make sure I leave you with this morning. The first one is, how are you responding to where you are in life? Again, next step in your faith. How are you responding? Because the easy time to talk about things is when things are going well. But there are some here whose lives recently have been, currently are, or unknowingly are about to become very chaotic. How have you, how are you, and most importantly, how will you respond? Resolve that in your heart this morning. Do not leave this room without making the decision about this is what I'm going to do about that. Here's how I will handle this. And you make that decision so that when it happens, if it's not happening right now, if it, when it happens, you know exactly what you're going to do ahead of time. Here's the second. This may be your next step in your faith as well. How is your life responding or affecting, excuse me, how is your life affecting other people? Ruth's life affected Naomi's. Naomi, 
The mother-in-law could have been remembered as a bitter old woman, but you know what her legacy is? She's the great-grandmother of David who would become the greatest king Israel ever knew, ever knew. And David is in the lineage of Jesus. <laughs> she became the great-grandmother of the greatest king and the line uh, of Jesus. That's who she became known as. And so the question is, how is your life affecting others? It's not a matter of if it will. It's a matter of how it will. I think this is why Ephesians 4, and Jason shared this earlier at communion time, it's under the heading of instructions for Christian living. Get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you because God loves you. That's why he tells you this, because he loves you, and through you, he wants to love other people. And it's just not going to happen if we're bitter people. Listen, this is a picture of Tim Hansel. Uh, I met him uh, 29 years ago. He was speaking at the Ohio Teens for Christ convention. He was the founder of Summit Expedition, and he was an author. I'd read several of his books. He was also one of the most energetic, contagious Christians. He just had a smile uh, at, that would not quit. He passed away in 2009. Up until his death, he kept a note in his Bible uh, that was sent to him from a young man, and it read this way. Dear Tim, I finally found you. You may not remember me, but I've never forgotten you. I was, a fresh, I was in your freshman gym class while you were a student teaching at Stanford. I was uncoordinated and slower than slow, and one day you made us run the 600-yard dash. 600 yards. He said, I came in dead last. In fact, everyone else had finished, and I still had 100 yards to go. A football field. Everyone's done, and he still has a football field to run. He said, you ran from the finish line back to me as I gasped for air and tried to put one foot in front of the other. You ran the last 100 yards right beside me, cheering me all the way. Don't give up. Good effort. Keep running. Don't give up. And at the end, I was about to faint. And as we approached the finish line, you screamed, dive! And we both <laughs> dove over the finish line. He said, I became a manager on your football team. It was the best time of my life. You moved on, but I never forgot you. I went to Stanford as well, and I majored in journalism. A guidance counselor told me I had poor writing and English skills with limited vocabulary. <laughs> said I was always fascinated with what... Uh, with what people told me I could not do. And then he goes on in the letter and tells about his job and his family. And he wrote, last year, my wife and I started going to church. Six months ago, I accepted Jesus. And I finally figured you out. Six months ago, I accepted Jesus. And now I understand you. And isn't that what you want to have people say about you? I just didn't even get you until I met Jesus. <laughs> and now your life makes total sense to me. At the bottom of your notes, bitterness and love can't live together in the same heart. Each day we must decide which one gets to stay. Not easy. That's a hard call. But it is a choice that we get to make. No one gets to make that for us. We get to make that choice of what gets to live in our heart each day, bitterness or love, as God's children, loved by our Father, may we choose well. Let's pray. God, thank you.
for loving us so much. And God, there are times when each of us, and my guess is each of us, I know I have, sat in a place just like this, and I can still remember the where and when. My heart was so hard, I couldn't even sing. And I didn't know how hard my heart was until I realized I couldn't sing. And so God, for those who are here this morning that are in that place, our prayer as your children is that they would allow you to massage their heart of stone and to begin to soften it again, that they might be reminded that you are not to blame. (laughs) You are a loving father, that we have an enemy that wants to destroy and kill and steal. That's all he wants. It's all he wants. He never wants what's good for us, and you never want what's bad for us. And sometimes we flip that around, and in our bitterness we can do that. So God, we pray for those whose hearts today are just struggling with that. And for the rest of us who maybe at this moment aren't, but we will one day, God, may we make a stand. May we just make a decision today, right now, about who we're going to be and how we're going to handle that situation. And may, may we gather friends around us who follow you, who will help us stay on the path on the days when it's so easy to want to just go off on our own and isolate ourselves and allow the anger and the bitterness to grow. God, on a day like today, (laughs) when all of us want to celebrate moms, and some of us just aren't able to, help us. Help us. Because our lives are influencing others. Thank you for loving us right where we are and helping us to get right where we ought to be. And we pray this through your son, Jesus.